Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. This morning, we're going to conclude our fall sermon series titled Theological Imagery, which is exploring the development of a few core metaphors in the Bible by paying particular attention to water, breath, fire, and tree. Our hope for this sermon series is that the goodness and beauty of biblical imagery might rouse our imagination and nurture our human flourishing. Three weeks ago, I spoke on the metaphor of water. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ben spoke on the metaphor of breath. And last week, we considered together the metaphor of fire. This morning, we'll conclude the series by considering the metaphor of tree. Tree. (sighs) Trees are amazing, aren't they? In botany, a tree is a perennial plant with an elongated stem or trunk, which usually supports branches and leaves. Trees have been in existence for approximately 370 million years. There are more than 60,000 known species of trees on Earth, and it's estimated that there are some 3 trillion mature trees in the world. Trees tend to live for a very long time. Some trees reach several thousand years old. Trees provide habitats for hundreds of species and animals. Trees are good for the planet because they produce oxygen, remove carbon dioxide from the air, and they help keep the earth cool. Trees are a vital part of the earth's water cycle. They absorb noise, and their roots very literally help to hold the earth together. To name a few uses, trees provide raw materials for medicine, houses, and paper products, and they produce fruit and nuts for human sustenance. There's actually evidence that patients recuperating from surgery heal faster and have fewer complications when they have access to trees during their recovery. Isn't that interesting? And some newer studies have demonstrated that trees are in some way cognizant Part of what helps trees survive is an underground network of tree roots and microscopic fungal filaments, which allow trees to share water and nutrients. That's to say trees somehow miraculously know. They somehow know when other trees are in need of, and they help each other out. And... Some studies have even revealed that this underground network of tree roots and microscopic fungal filaments allow trees to warn each other about dangers such as disease and insect attacks. Isn't that amazing? It's no wonder poets write about trees. Artists paint trees. Mystics ponder trees. And we humans stand underneath them looking up at a timbered choir of trunk and branches and leaves to extol over and over again magnificent. Magnificent. 
trees. Kids climb them. Tired people sleep under them. Hot people are shaded by them. And in some religions, humans worship them. It's no wonder the Bible is stuffed full of ideas related to trees. Of course, Adam and Eve ate from a tree called knowledge of good and evil, and then they were removed from Eden so that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life, which we'll talk about in just a bit. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and he called on the name of the everlasting God from underneath the tree. In Judges chapter 4, Deborah the prophetess made her judgments while sitting under a palm tree. In Acts chapter 5, we read that Jesus was hung on a tree. And then we return to that very interesting tree of life once again being talked about five times in the book of Revelation. Outside of Genesis chapters 2 and 3 and the five times it's referred to in the book of Revelation, the only other book in the Bible that uses the language tree of life is the book of Proverbs, which describes its goodness in human terms. For example, according to Proverbs, wisdom is a tree of life. According to the book of Proverbs, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. According to Proverbs, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And according to Proverbs, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. And so whatever someone may want to make out of the tree of life based on its minimal usage in Genesis and Revelation, uh, Proverbs explains that the tree of life is wisdom, it's the fruit of righteousness, it's desire fulfilled, and it is a gentle tongue. Last Sunday, I talked about the metaphor of fire and how when people's lives become difficult, they'll sometimes say, my life is on fire. Or sometimes they'll say, I am in the midst of a furnace. Or if life is really hard, sometimes people will even say, I am in the bowels of hell. And although we don't usually hear this kind of language, the tree of life, as we see it used in Proverbs, is is actually the antithesis to what we see as being fire in the Bible. When life is good, when life is beautiful, when life is Edenic, like living in Eden, we could very well say, this is heavenly. Or we could possibly say, this is divine. Or to use today's metaphor, we could say, this is the tree of life. Like I'm actually experiencing the tree of life here and now in this very moment. From Proverbs chapter 3, Happy are those who find wisdom and those who get understanding. For her income is better than silver and her revenue is better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. You see, finding wisdom growing up into wisdom, becoming a people who learn to navigate life in this world wisely. According to Proverbs, that is the tree of life. It is a tree of life at hand. And the fruit of righteousness that Proverbs describes, like when you live into your knowing, 
Or when you hold to your values in spite of everything that's going on around you. When you, when you sink into the depths of the sea when all is raging above you. And when you do that and you find that goodness comes up out of it, well, that too is the tree of life. We could say that is fruit that falls from a tree of life. And a desire fulfilled like when you finally graduate, if you've been in school for a long time, or when you finally have that kiss after a really long time and it actually happens and potentially it's even better than you dreamt or imagined, or when that food fills your hungry stomach, or after a long walk and you forgot to bring water and you finally are quenched uh, with that water, or when that vacation finally arrives and it actually happens because you didn't get COVID. <laughs> Or when we got that first COVID vaccine, remember back in June of 21, and we thought, the world is once again my oyster for like four and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs> or when that rain hit last week, and it made the smoke go away, and it cooled that hot, smoky air, that too is the tree of life at hand. Oh, and a gentle tongue, which better translates as a calming tongue. In the midst of today's rage and seemingly every person's ability to spew angst at the drop of a hat, a calming tongue that takes a breath before speaking, a calming tongue that soothes angst and controls rage, a calming tongue that considers a helpful response for everyone involved, well, that too is a tree of life at hand. You see, we humans are so concerned about getting back to Eden we're so bent on making our way to a place called heaven. And we Christians often fascinate about a city of light where the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit exists. But, but let there be no mistake about it. That tree of life exists here and now in moments of wisdom, in moments of righteousness, in moments of longings fulfilled, and in moments of calming tongues. For truly, that is life. That is human union on earth. It is potentially even healing, for it is that good, very, very good. In our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures this morning in Genesis chapter 3, we heard about Adam and Eve eating from a tree called knowledge of good and evil. Because of this, they were removed from Eden and separated from another tree called the tree of life. Now, in the past, I've talked a fair amount about how we need to get beyond the notion of the fall, in which Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thereby depraving every human being and cataclysmically altering the earth. That way of understanding the Bible's inciting incident is violent. It's unhelpful for human flourishing, and it's not even historical or biblical Bible reading. A more ancient reading of Genesis 3 understands Adam and Eve's eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil as wisdom grasping. Grasping out at wisdom in which Adam and Eve tried to become whole and grown and wise like God right away, like in a moment, without going on the very human journey that is what actually helps us each grow up into more and more wisdom. One aspect of the story that we've not talked a whole lot about, however, is how Adam and Eve's eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil resulted from distancing them from a tree called life. 
I'd like to say that again because I think it's important. Adam and Eve's eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and it resulted in their distance from another tree, the tree of life. And a question worth considering this morning is why? Why did Adam and Eve's eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil create distance from the tree of life? Well, I think it's interesting to notice that the tree of life is a bit ambiguous. Like as Proverbs says, the tree of life is connected to wisdom and to fruit and to desire and to gentleness, which often occur in the complexity of our experiences as humans. But a tree called knowledge of good and evil, good and evil, well, there's no ambiguity at all there. It's simply clear cut. Life is black and white. Life is good and bad. Life is moral and immoral. Life is right and wrong. Life is heaven and hell. And there's a tree's name that explains, hey, there is good and evil. In fact, there's a whole lot of knowledge about good and evil. In other words, binary knowledge. And yet that which is binary cannot comprehend a reality of ambiguity, which is our lives being lived out in this world. This kind of thinking is often called dualism. Dualism is the division of something conceptually into two opposed or contrasting aspects. Dualism, you could say, is. Dualism is the state of being divided. You could even say disintegrated. But you see, so much of the gospel undoes dualism. Like, think about it. Virgin and biological mother. That defies dualism. Fully human and fully divine. That defies dualism. Bread and body. Wine and blood. Death and resurrection. Notice in these paradoxes the word and. And. It's a simple three-letter word. And it's a profound conjunction. Uh, Contemporary mystic and monk Richard Rohr writes about this beautiful word explaining and allows us to be both and. And keeps us from either or. And is willing to wait for insight and integration. And helps us to live in the always imperfect now. And allows us to critique both sides of things. And makes daily practical love possible and does not trust love if it is not also justice, and does not trust justice if it is not also love, and is far beyond my religion versus your religion, and allows us to be both distinct and yet united. And. It's a word that opens our hearts to life's paradoxes. And it's a word that opens us to difference. It's a word that transforms certainty certainty to humility. It's a word that creates space for the complexity that resides in each of us and is a word that moves us away from the dualism of a tree called good and evil, all the while inching us closer and closer and closer to a tree called life. As we employ wisdom, the manifestation of love, moment by moment by moment. In the movie, The Tree of Life, written and directed by Terrence Malick, we enter into a story of a family in Waco, Texas in 1956. 
Throughout the movie, the eldest and now grown son, Jack, reflects upon and wrestles deeply with his parents' conflicting styles of, of life in the world. His dad, played by Brad Pitt and named Mr. O'Brien, Mr. O'Brien is the embodiment of nature. A better word for Mr. O'Brien is probably law. Law. For Mr. O'Brien is convinced that his sons need a firm hand. His sons must know the difference between right and wrong. And when they choose wrong, well, nature, law, has something to say about it. And Mr. O'Brien comes down on his boys hard, so hard, again and again and again. And then there's the mom, played by Jessica Chastain, and her name in the movie is Mrs. O'Brien. And Mrs. O'Brien is the embodiment of grace. Sure, her boys make mistakes, but that's just life. And every mistake, lie, and moment of manipulation by her boys is met with warmth and hugs and acceptance. I watched this movie again with my dear friend Brett Fisher right there, who's been helping me navigate some of the films that we've been using throughout this sermon series. And throughout this movie, we found ourselves asking again and again and again, well, like, like which, which one is it? Like, who's... Who's right? Which is the better way to live? Is life about nature? Is it about law? Is that good or is that evil? Or is life about grace? Endless, ceaseless grace. Is that good or is that evil? And we so desperately wanted knowledge. We so desperately wanted knowledge of what was good and what was evil. And yet throughout the movie, Terrence Malick, in both subtle and forceful scenes, makes it clear that neither way of being is quite right. In fact, attempting to choose which is best, nature or grace, law or mercy, very quickly become deeply problematic. And the O'Brien family slowly slips further and further and further from life as they find themselves lost in dualistic perspectives on what is good in what is evil. Near the end of the film, Mr. O'Brien, who has lived his life according to law, believing that if you live a certain way, then life goes a certain way. He's lived his entire life by law when suddenly Mr. O'Brien experiences the unexpected and loses his job. As a result, the family has to move, which leads Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien to reflect on their dualistic perspectives. We pick up the story when the family is saying goodbye to their life in a home marked by a tree called Knowledge of Good and Evil. And Mrs. O'Brien has an epiphany, which we, the viewers of this film, are invited into. These are two of the brothers.
The only way to be happy is to love, she says. Unless you love, your life will flash by, she says. Do good to them. Wonder, hope. You see, many of us have been taught that life is a tree called knowledge of good and evil. It's either good or evil. This is good or evil. You are good or evil. But like Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien and their grown son Jack, over time, I think we all come to realize that this binary way of understanding life in the world is actually something much more akin to a curse. It will drive you mad, figuratively and literally mad. For this wily and mysterious life cannot be contained within dualistic thinking. Oh, but Mike, certainly there's some objectivity, for example, like, like murder. Murder is just evil. But then most of us recall a story from a few months ago about a teenage girl who was abused throughout her life and as a last resort with little hope, she killed her abuser. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, and that's the point, Right? messy. Life doesn't nicely fall into good and evil. A good, a good child, a bad child. Is that possible? A good relationship, a bad relationship. Is it really that clear cut? A good divorce, a bad divorce. A good moment, a bad moment. A good life, a bad life. Such categor categorical thinking will drive us mad. For life, the life that Mrs. O'Brien finally realizes and invites us all into is one of love. And in love, we commit ourselves to sniffing out that which is truly good in every moment with all wonder and hope for something miraculous to transpire. And as we do, as we commit ourselves to discerning that which is truly good with all wonder and hope, we slowly begin to leave behind that cursed tree of knowledge of good and evil as we begin to climb and sleep under and swing around on that glorious tree called life. Life. Located in every human who is a unique shape of water. Life. That inspires us all with the same divine breath. Life that resides with us in and transforms us through furnaces of fire. It's life by love, which Paul explains in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I would say, whereas knowledge of good and evil will end, love never ends. Beautiful, isn't it? From Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river is the tree of life. Isn't that interesting? On either side of the river is the tree, singular, is the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit every month. And the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing will be accursed there, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and God's servants will worship God. They will see God's face. God's name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. May it be so, and let us pray. tree of life. Today we need life. Today we need uh, non-categorical ways of seeing ourselves and others. Today we're in need of good fruit. Today we're in need of healing leaves that stretch out across this world. Today we're in need of good trees to stand under and to talk with one another to better understand ourselves and this world. I ask that you would help us to journey day by day from this tree called knowledge of good and evil to your tree of life that's made manifest always and forever by love. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Mm